Welcome back to Brailcast, the official podcast of the Brailists Foundation. Coming up this month... It was a terrifying experience and also I just felt kind of incredibly fortunate to work with Watches 8 as I did. A conversation with blind composer Zia Leon Sloan about studying composition at the Royal Northern College of Music and having a commission at the BBC Proms. Well, I don't know about you, but it's amazing to me that we're at the end of June already and almost exactly a month away from the opening night of the BBC Proms, the world-famous summer season of concerts of classical music founded in 1895. Since their infancy, they've championed the composition and performance of new works of music through various channels, including, latterly, the BBC Young Composer Competition. In 2018, one of the winners of this competition was blind composer Zia Leon Sloan, who described themselves as a writer of words and music with a particular interest in the way that art can respond to political and ecological ideas. Their choral piece, Earthwood, subsequently received its world premiere by vocal ensemble Voches 8 at a prom at Cadogan Hall on the 22nd of July 2019. In addition to the BBC Young Composer competition, they've won the Cambridge Young Composer of the Year, the Joan Weller Composition Prize, the Humphrey Searle Composition Award, and the Royal Philharmonic Society and Classic FM 25th Birthday Commissions. They've also composed with Altbra Young Musicians, the National Youth Orchestra, and the Britain Symphonia Academy. Zia first undertook composition lessons at the age of 12, and at the time of publication, they've just finished their final year of undergraduate study at the Royal Northern College of Music in Manchester. Much of their composition emerges from their spiritual practice and their own responses to world affairs. Blind since the age of two, they're an advanced brailleist and a prolific user of braille music. I was privileged to speak with them in February about their Braille music journey and what it was like to have a score that originated in Braille performed by sighted musicians in front of a live audience of nearly a thousand and a radio audience of hundreds of thousands more. I started by asking them about their early exposure to Braille. I started learning Braille when I was like three, maybe, and then got very addicted to books and reading and creative writing that's another story and then braille music i started when i was maybe nine or ten so it was yeah it was a few years in between and i had been doing music a few years before starting to learn braille music as well so you knew grade two i guess by the time you started braille music how hard was it because I'm also a musician and I had two problems really. The first was finding a braille music teacher. The second was by the time I'd found a braille music teacher, I could do so much by ear that I don't think I really wanted to learn braille music at first. So I was lucky that actually finding a braille music teacher was kind of okay. I'm based in Cambridge and there's someone in Ely, which is like not too far away. And then... I think maybe I looked at it as like just learning a new language or something Um, and I was a bit obsessed with languages so that kind of worked for me. I could say that I saw it as a way into composing but I don't think I did at that point. I don't think composing was really on the cards when I started learning so it was mostly a kind of gateway to be able to move forward with um, my 
other sides of my musical practice at that point. Yeah, okay. It's good that you were interested because I think for people who don't learn Braille music, there is eventually a ceiling. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, I think it is important to say that there are blind composers out there who use other methods and who get on very well. I just happen to find this the most intuitive medium for communicating my music, I guess. I find it, I mean, sure, it's limiting in some ways and in other ways it's actually quite, um, like there's something, I was writing something recently about how there's something quite special about having a physical connection with what you make by mediating it through touch, essentially. Which, yeah, it makes it quite a kind of embodied physical experience, which I think is quite, quite nice. Yeah, and I guess there's a relationship between Braille music and written music. You know, you're not just writing music for blind people, you're writing music for sighted people. And there is, if not a one-to-one relationship as such, there is a, a clearly understood, clearly defined mapping between if I write this in Braille music, this is what it looks like in stave notation. And so you can perhaps be a bit more um, expressive, would you say, uh, using Braille music as as compared to other methods? Um, I kind of, well, firstly, I, I am not as comfortable or familiar with the mechanics of stave notation as I should be. So there isn't always, in fact, there quite often isn't that clear mapping from one to the other. I don't always write a note and think, in fact, I don't think I ever write a note and think this is what it looks like in in print. But it is a leveller, right, that this is the medium that we as non-stave notation users are able to access, the same material that stave notation users are able to access. Sure. Did you take any music exams growing up? How, how was that? Um, so I was a, a recorder and a flute player for a while, and I did all of my recorder grades, which mostly, well, I think I got through like basically initial to eight all the way just by ear, um, because I didn't have the, I just found it a much more intuitive way of learning, essentially, um, at that stage than working in braille music. It was was much quicker, it felt much less limiting. Sight reading was a bit of a nightmare. I feel like I wasn't <laughs> as comfortable. No, um, yeah. there's an advantage. I'm a vocalist and there's a real advantage here in that I can sight read technically because I, my fingers don't have to do anything. But even then I find it difficult. I would have hated to have sight read recorder and flute music. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And the, the hardest questions that I faced when I was doing exams, uh, I didn't do associated board exams. I've done things like RSCM exams. And the hardest questions are the ones where they say, so you've you've got a staff and can you tell me the fifth note, you know, the, the note on the fifth line? And I just think, no, I can't tell you that. And actually, I don't need to know this in order to read my music. Do we need to know it, though? Do you find that information useful? I guess you don't based on what else you've said and how have you come across those questions in exams or have they all been nicely modified so that you avoid those sorts of questions i have never had a question like that and i'm sorry that you had to go through that because that sounds really stressful i do think it's relevant and i do think it's important to know it's just not something that i've dedicated as much time as i 
should have essentially to at this point the reason I think it's important I guess is that however we think that things should should run we are functioning in a sighted world and a sighted industry working alongside musicians who are using stave notation and as a composer I need to bear in mind what is intuitive or easier or more difficult to read for many reasons um, not least just compassion for the performers I work with and to know that I need to have an understanding of something like a a basic example might be what you were saying earlier about clefs um, and ledger lines and this is you know what what would work at, at what point in terms of clefs for a sighted musician and that's a simple example but of course there are there are many others and i guess things like how complicated would this look on the page because i guess it looks there are things that you can do in braille music notation because you've got octaves and things which actually you you probably wouldn't want to do in written notation staff notation because it would just look so complicated with ledger line upon ledger line upon ledger line yeah i often think actually that braille music has massive advantages over print um because of things like octaves and uh you know the way that we write chords intervallically and this kind of thing which has really enhanced my harmonic thinking and yeah my kind of connection with with pitch and and all of those things it's kind of meant that i haven't developed rhythm in the same way as a sighted composer might have yeah rhythm's an interesting one i really struggle to understand how sighted people do rhythm i do understand it because i have to but there's this concept of you know a crotchet is one beat and a minim is two beats and then you sort of have to juxtapose this with the idea of time signatures and it took me years to understand because you know you'd have a time signature of four four and a time signature of two two and two two is two minims to the bar which is the mathematical equivalent of four crotchets to the bar. And so why is it that we have a 2-2 bar and a 4-4 bar? Why don't we just convert all those 2-2 bars into 4-4 and have done with it? Yeah, I completely resonate with that. It's really confusing. So talking about the composition process, how does that start? If you, you know, somebody's come to you and said, I mean, is that how it starts? Does somebody come to you and say, write me a piece of music? Or do you wake up in the morning and go, yeah, I've got this really good idea. And then where does it go from there? At this point in in my development, I guess it's a combination of starting with a commission or starting with an idea. At the moment, because I'm studying, I can't rely on the next commission because realistically it might not happen. And I still need to be writing music because portfolios at the end of the year. But usually what, what happens in terms of the process is that once the trigger has happened, be it commission or other deadline i will seek out a concept if one hasn't been provided in any brief that i've been given and so i'll i'll have my concept and it might be something political or ecological most likely and i will relate that in some way to something that i can give personally or touch on personally so like my spiritual practice for example or a particular experience that I've had, say, in nature. And then that will give me a kind of overall sense of structure in a kind of very overarching way. And then it will be a case of building that structure musically. 
Sure. So when you say a concept, just go back a little bit. Are we talking about a concept as simple as the earth has dirty air or are we talking about a more formed concept than that so it it kind of depends but generally it's something quite specific so it might be something like for example in the choral piece which was done a couple of years ago earthward that came out of an experience that i had on a meditation retreat where I was writing this piece and the notes felt like they were kind of coming up through me from the ground. And that, so there was a very, very strong, palpable sense of connection with nature and of like myself as, yes, I guess, a, a vessel for the music to come through, but also of somehow being in control. But also with both of those things in mind, not being able to really to think of that piece as mine. And some of that proceeded the piece and some of it like not being able to think of it as mine came out of it I guess and when we say we move on to the music and we actually start writing it down I mean this must be a really intimate experience you know you're you're talking about using yourself as a vessel for the notes almost so you know are you using a Perkins and and jotting things down that way or are you using a computer-based system and and is are there different systems and does one system feel more personal than another? What I have been doing for the last few years is using uh, my braille note taker and just uh, creating a BRF document and then writing it that way. And then I dictate to a sighted Sibelius user usually or whatever notation software they're using, usually Sibelius, and yeah, sit down and go crotch it C4, a mezzo piano with a tenuto that takes many, many hours, but it I works. I bet it so. does. So you've not tried, or have you tried, or, or and just given up on it, any automated systems like, I don't know, Good Feel or something? Or are they too much, the other way, too much print to Braille? I did try Lime and Good Feel and that suite of softwares. And yeah, I gave up on it, partly because I can't deal with JAWS, and related to that, I just found the whole process very clunky and kind of impersonal and a bit sad. And also a sighted person would have to go through anyway and check that the format and everything was okay. So it felt just kind of easier to... Just, just not worth it. If you've got to get a sighted person involved anyway, yeah, they exactly. might just as well write the whole thing out. Yeah. So tell me about... Well, I say tell me about Earthwood. Um, you've told me about Earthwood already. But this is significant because it made its way to the BBC proms. What sort of experience was that? It was a terrifying experience. And also, I just felt kind of incredibly fortunate to work with Watches 8, as I did. And yeah, it was, it was just kind of quite surreal, the whole thing. I gave it to Watches 8 and had some really lovely correspondence with them throughout the rehearsal process and then yeah it was the performance and it was I can only describe it really as surreal and a bit terrifying I had to have an interview on stage literally a couple of minutes before which was quite intense and they needless to say did a really incredible job of the piece. So you had correspondence with them during the rehearsal process. Did you actually get to go to any rehearsals and see how it was going or did you just give them the piece and then turn up at the proms and hope they were doing what you wanted them to do? 
I was lucky to be able to attend the final rehearsal just before the performance. Other than that, I had to trust from our correspondents that it was going okay. And was it? I mean, what are you allowed to say, of course, in this sort of thing? But I mean, did you turn up and go, yeah, they've they've really done this well? Or was there some correspondence then between you and the conductor to iron out differences of opinion? No, they they really did very well. It was a bit of a nightmare to sing because my harmonies were so hard to pitch, basically. But yeah, I mean, they they said in the performance that because of my piece, they hadn't been able to prepare an encore, which I thought was quite amusing. But they did an encore anyway, so, you know, it was fine. Yeah, they're a good enough group. They don't need to prepare an encore, do they? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, pretty incredible, really. You're a student now at the Royal Northern College of Music, which is really confusing as a blind person because there's RNC as in the Royal National College for the Blind and there's RNC as in the Royal Northern College of Music. So it's definitely Royal Northern that you're at for for music. How is that at the moment? Because we're recording this in the height of a lockdown when I guess you're not in Manchester at the moment. And composition, I can't imagine, is the easiest of subjects to teach over Zoom. Um, you know, you'd be really surprised. I felt incredibly lucky to be a composer in in this time in comparison to being a performer in that uh, we tend to be hermits anyway. I'm sorry to use a stereotype, but it's kind of true. So from that point of view, I'm sure like everyone else, I've I've had a performance cancelled but or postponed indefinitely. But, you know, I'm I'm not missing from the really central aspect of a performer's career development, which is orchestral rehearsals or choir rehearsals or chamber ensemble or whatever it might be, um, concert singing. And so I'm kind of doing what I would usually do. It's just that it's not being heard. And all the course material is accessible and I guess in Braille if it needs to be? RNCM have actually been really amazing. Yeah, uh, they've put as much as I could have asked for in place. And yeah, it's not the most accessible of subjects, really, music, let's be real about this. You know, like in that lots of of students need to study kind of epigraph scores and, you know, like manuscript notation and and all of this, which obviously isn't going to be possible. But yes, other than that, I I have all of the written resources in Braille and they've kind of offered to transcribe music and things when necessary which is really great that is really good um and it's good to hear you've had such a good experience i don't actually know many blind people who've gone to those sorts of places you know rncm or royal school of music or any of them and and even fewer that have studied composition what happens if you do i mean you talked about epigraph scores and stuff what happens actually if you do need to study those do you get extra credit you know in other areas or how does that work so essentially you just kind of had to find other ways around it. I mean epigraph scores in itself isn't a compulsory module, but there are modules for which studying manuscripts is very useful. So it just means that I need to find other ways into those modules. Like for example, there's this module that all final year students need to take, which is called performance studies, and lots of the focus of that is on kind of say ambiguity in notation so where different drafts of 
a work might be different, you know, all of this kind of thorny musical issues. And I guess my own way into this is, okay, I can't talk about different drafts of a work or where, you know, Beethoven's handwriting wasn't clear in one draft and like, so we can't tell for sure if we're playing the right notes. But I can talk about cadenzas, for example, or performance directions and how do you interpret those or the ambiguity that's inherent in dynamic markings or any of this kind of thing. And I guess you've been privileged to be with a lot of cited experts at somewhere like RNCM. So, I mean, have you managed to train them up to tell you the information that you need to know? In this case, I I think it would just be too time consuming to go through, um, in the context of my degree, I guess, to go through scores in detail, especially given that that's, um, I can kind of get by without doing that, much as I would be interested in doing it. But I do have a member of staff at college who is very kind of au fait with accessibility stuff and, yeah, does as much as she can to go through things with me and um, make sure that everything's in a form I can read. And is there anything in particular? I mean, I can't think of anything. I think we've sort of plateaued. But, I mean, is there anything in particular that could potentially be done, do you think, to make this sort of process more easy, less time-consuming, whatever the right word is because it would be fascinating wouldn't it to explore some of this early music a bit more independently it would be yeah I'm really obsessed with Hildegard and if I was a singer I would my big aspiration would be to make a complete recording of her works so yeah I mean I'd love to study her music in depth and right now that isn't really possible not least because going through archives independently isn't an option and yeah, I mean, what could be done to make archives more accessible? I can't really think of of anything at this point. Unfortunately, it feels like something that's kind of a bit inherent in the way that they are put together. And there's very little, it's kind of no one's fault and not really anything anyone can do about it, unfortunately. But I mean, there must be a way of doing something. I feel like I'm possibly just not the right person to suggest one. Well, maybe a few more Braille music transcribers wouldn't be a bad start, right? Yeah, no, that's very true. And just more widely available Braille music that is uh, that covers a more diverse span of the canon would be, would be really nice. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be in the clerks at the cathedral and I'll put a music list into the RNIB library and see how much of it's available. And there might be about a quarter of it maybe available yeah, if you're on lucky. a good day. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, yeah, yeah. I did choral stuff for quite a while and I in the end I gave up and had to do stuff by ear because it just wasn't sustainable. And did you find that with the other stuff I mean you've already talked about doing recorder and flute by ear and now you're doing composition so I mean is it a coincidence that you ended up in composition or was it just the fruits of well I've tried performance and it's just not working? My playing and composing overlapped for a few years I started composing kind of quote-unquote officially or taking formal lessons when I was about 12 and I kept playing for kind of four or five years after that and yeah I think there was something about composing which felt like it really combined many of my interests in quite an intuitive way I guess like it meant that I could bring together my interest in text and in music and in kind of creativity and, and all of those things and yeah, so I think that's kind of 
one reason why I initially became interested. And then I stopped playing mostly for other reasons because I just didn't feel like a performer. So, so far, you're, what, 20, I think, as we record this, maybe 21, have had a commission at the proms studying at Royal Northern College of Music. Um, All of this is, is going on and you're very young. So what happens next what happens when you leave royal northern what what do you hope to do i guess you hope to make a career out of composition well that's a very good question at the moment it looks like i am going to stay at rncm to do a masters in september which will be for a year which will give me some more time hopefully to choose a, a direction and after that i'm not sure i have the sense that I'd like to broaden out and possibly do something different for a bit and see where that takes me. But it's all a bit up in the air at the moment. A fascinating conversation with Zia Leon Sloan, blind winner of the BBC Young Composer competition in 2018. And if you'd like to find out more about Zia's music, you can find her at InspireArts. It's like Inspire Arts, but with the E missed off. I-N-S-P-I-R-A-R-T-S, all one word. And the website for that is inspirearts.com. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Brailcast, the official podcast of the Brailists Foundation. You can find more Braille-related content by subscribing to Brailcast, all one word, in your podcast client of choice, or listening to Brailcast, connecting the dots for Braillists everywhere on your smart speaker. You can also find past episodes on our website at brailcast.com. If you have comments on the podcast or suggestions of topics or guests for future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Please email help at braylists.org. You can also find the Braylists on Twitter at Braylists or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Foundation. Finally, if you like what you've heard, spread the word. New listeners are always welcome. So if you know other people who are interested in Braille, please tell them where to find us. In the meantime, on behalf of everyone at the Braillists, thanks for listening and bye for now. The costs of producing this episode were defrayed by a grant from the Activate Fund of the Winston Churchill Memorial Trust. For more information, visit wcmt.org.uk.